coming up. NFL news, including something to watch on the Atlanta Falcon coaching staff. Steve Sarkeesian, Mayflower is on speed dial. We update some player situations, including a group of veteran free agents who remain unsigned. You just got to keep on throwing those WTF letters out there. What's going on in this world? And we get ready for college football and next year's draft with a look at some defensive linemen. You see these four guys deciding unison to come back because they want one more ring. This is the Scout Honor Podcast with inside information. Nobody's ever been drafted from that school. That's going to change this year. And unique perspective. If either one of them came out last year, Baker Mayfield would be in a New York Jet uniform because either one of them would have been the first pick in a draft. From Super Scout Dave T. Thomas and your host, Paul Crane. Hello again, everyone. I'm Paul Crane, along with the publisher of the NFL Draft Report and director of operations of Scouting Services, Inc., Dave T. Thomas. It's a football scouts on our podcast today. We've got some news from around the NFL. Then we're going to look ahead to college football, some of the top defensive linemen as it shapes up for the 2019 NFL draft. But Dave T, why don't we get started in what's supposed to be a quiet time? There seems to be a lot of noise. Yeah, well, thanks to T.O., we're getting a lot of noise and chatter. <laughs> All right, let's I, start I think there. T, I think T.O., well, you know. A couple of things going on. One, his name's coming up as possibly going to the Canadian Football League. What's that all about? And a bigger situation, his name has come up with tied to Julio Jones and unhappiness in Atlanta. Some are saying it's just Julio wanting a new contract or more money. Some say it's the influence of Terrell Owens. What say you? Well, you sit back and you hear all of the niceties coming out of the Atlanta front office, but this is a guy that missed OTAs. Uh, Minicamp is looking to get another deal. Uh, they're saying, no, he won't hold down in training camp, and now everybody's sitting back in the wait-and-see mode. Next thing you know, he shows up. He's working out with Terrell Owens through the summer. Uh, you know the bad culture that Terrell Owens brought to the locker room. You're just hoping that none of this rubs up on Julio Jones. If it does, will they go ahead and cut and trade bait over here at the end of the season? If Calvin Ridley comes through for them, do you really think they're going to give $20 million per what Julio Jones wants on the contract in 2019? One thing I have to do is I have to go out and pull up his medical. This is not exactly a ball player that we've seen at 100% health in recent years. That's another factor which goes into why should I go ahead and tear up your deal right now and give you a new one. You know, these guys don't want renegotiated deal, Paul. Here's what I say to them. If you, if you flop during the season, the teams have the ability to go ahead and cut you and only have salary cap implications. But if you have a great season, you've already honored that contract over there. You don't have that loophole of going in and saying, I want to renegotiate. I think that right now, Julio Jones, if you want any foresight over there, and this sounds coming from me, something I never thought I would say, take a lesson from Odell Beckham. Well, that's true. However, when you get into the contract situation, the league and the players union in particular need to get things cleaned up in terms of what is and is not guaranteed. And that's a whole different situation. But when it comes to Jones, you're spot on in how he's been 
hurt so much the last couple of years, but he is one of the top talents at the position. This relationship with Terrell Owens and these new issues coming up, how mutually exclusive are they? How much are they actually together? And how much is Julio Jones now becoming an issue for the Atlanta Falcons? Well, it comes down to the point, too, is is that you want everybody on your team happy. I just don't think that they have a happy locker room to begin with, and I think it begins in the coaching staff. How could you go ahead and take a guy with all of the troubles that he had at the University of Washington? You then take him down, he stays in the Pac-10, and he had all of those drunken episodes. And this is Steve Sarkeesian you're talking about, the Falcons' now offensive coordinator who did come from the Pac-12, Alabama, and is now in Atlanta. Steve Sarkeesian. Well, and then you got to look at Nick Saban. Nick Saban basically just slammed the door after Sarkeesian left over there. Atlanta picked him up. The offense struggled last year. Now you got the quarterback whisperer, Greg Knapp, who's on the, on the, uh, in the organization, and him and Matt Ryan are getting along quite well. If this team stumbles coming out of the gate, will we have another situation like what Musgrove up in, uh, in Denver where all of a sudden they're changing offensive coordinators in season? If it does happen, Knapp takes over and watch that Atlanta Falcon offense start to explode. Knapp's got a great mind. This is a guy that if you talk to any quarterback he's ever had under his wing, they said they'd learn instantly from this guy. Uh, well, you know, Matt Ryan is one of the top echelon quarterbacks out there. But if you look last year, man, he had quite a few picks. So how much of a distraction could this become and how much different might it be than the Julio Jones contract holdout? That's football business at some point. Players have seen that time and time again. How much could the quarterback and coaching situation play more uh, an effect on the Falcons compared to a player holding out unhappy with a contract and that whole potential scenario? I don't care what my head coach or my general manager tells me. If my quarterback comes and knock, knock, knocks on the owner's door, that owner's going to sit down and have coffee with them. That owner is paying that guy $25 million a year. He wants to hear his opinion of what's going on in the locker room, what's going on on the field. If Matt Ryan decides that I want Greg Knapp as my boy, Steve Sarkeesian, Mayflower is on speed dial. A situation to watch with the Atlanta Falcons. Look at the team, Paul. I mean, you, you look at the team, the talent that they got there, Devonta Freeman, Matt Ryan, uh, Calvin Ridley now going with Jones. And I'm still saying the most under-the-radar signing in the offseason was getting Brandon Fusco. I know at the moment that free agent signing happened, you were uh, praising the Falcons for what they did. But at the same time, if the quarterback is not happy, as you referenced, it could be a situation that will bleed into the season and one that's going to be worth watching. Paul, I'm a trench war type of guy. Whatever your offense is going to do fine and dandy, those five guys across the line got to keep those other four guys from getting to my quarterback. When it comes to defensive linemen, when it comes to offensive linemen, they are probably the least recognized unless they get to the quarterback, and then it's the guy who let the guy get to the quarterback is getting booed in the stands. (laughs) With Brandon Fusco, you have not only a great trap blocker. If something happens at center, I could slide him over. He could play either the strong or the weak side God spot. Not only that, he brings leadership quality to the field. This is a guy that came out of slippery rock. Nobody even knew what he was. He bounced around the league, but any quarterback will tell you, I want that guy lining up right next to my center's fanny. So Brandon Fusco's addition, you've been talking about a month before the NFL draft on how good that was. And as we're getting ready to 
start moving toward training camps. He's still obviously a great addition, but the other situations, the Falcons could head to training camp with a couple of issues, just like the Carolina Panthers in the NFC South. What's going on in Carolina with offensive lineman Daryl Williams in particular? Well, they thought they were going to get the deal done uh, basically even before training camp opened. Now it was like, no, brother, we're not going to go that way. He wants the highest salary of any offensive tackle out there, and there is a huge gap when you come to that. You have to look at what happened, though. They played the game with Andrew Norwell, and he bounced out the door. They did not think Andrew was going to get that big deal. Darrell has that big year this season. He'll be bouncing out there. He'll end up surpassing Andrew Norwell on the contract table. Hmm. And the one of the biggest head-scratching things when it comes to contracts are the guys that are still waiting. We've been talking about this since March, Dave T. The free agent safeties, the veteran free agents that are still without teams, boggles the mind. Eric Reed, Kenny Vaccaro, Trey Boston, just to name the first three. Well, the big, the thing that's bothering me the most, and no knock on him, but Ron Parker is probably getting more attention than you would see with Trey, with Tyvon Branch, with Derek Reed, or Kenny Vaccaro. I mean, you just got to keep on throwing those WTF letters out there. What's going on in this world? Uh, you, I mean, when you're looking at your top 15 veterans still sitting out on the market and five of them are safeties, and you go down and look at the situation with Houston, you go down and look at the Giants right now where Collins is still banged up. How uh, is uh, undergoing lymphoma treatment down at, with the Texans? The Jets, they have Marcus May. He's out for at least training camp, and they end up picking up J.J. Wilcox. These are three teams right now that need a safety, and they're going to look over at Arizona. Arizona State, they let Honey Badger go down to Houston. They still haven't even replaced them over there, even with a warm body. Certainly uh, something, as I mentioned, we've been talking about since March, and we'll just have to watch and see as we get closer to training camps. Maybe we'll have to wait for camps to open before teams will reach out for some of these veteran free agent safeties. Again, we are going to talk about some defensive linemen in college football and how they relate to the 2019 NFL draft in a moment. But before we do one other NFL note, let me ask you about Dave T and that's the former first round pick in San Francisco where John Lynch has done a great job in a short time since becoming general manager of the 49ers. But what would you say is the status of the former first rounder, the offensive lineman, Josh, Garnett. Uh, he missed most of last season. He got hurt in training camp. This was a guy that was inherited by the new regime, so you know what happens there. All of a sudden, you got a stepfather signing your checks. Uh, they wanted, they brought in Mike Person. They're deciding right now that him and Jonathan Cooper, two waiver wire pickups, are more suitable to play on their offensive line than Garnett. Uh, will he be dumped before training camp opens? That's the word that we're hearing. They've been trying to field some trade offers over there, but why would a team go ahead and take a ball player who's still under a guaranteed contract when they much rather wait for him to go through the waiver process and then they only have to pick him up and pay the minimum with Sam Framfoot and the rest of the bill? So the very, it's a very short leash, and the time could be short for Garnett in San Francisco. 
Well, you got to look at one thing right now. If I could trade him for uh, any type of uh, player with legs on them, I have to go ahead and do it. Uh, you got Marquise Goodwin and Trent Taylor, wide receivers that are supposed to start for you this year, and both of them are still hurt. They haven't gone through the practice reps and OTAs. They missed a lot of mini camp. Uh, right now, second round draft pick Dante Pettis is starting for them uh, on their board, at least through mini camp, along with Victor Bolden and Kendrick Bourne. Now, you just gave Jimmy G a lot of money over there, folks. Mm-hmm. You gave them no money over there. You don't want these three little guys running around where somebody's going to go. I know common San Diego before I know a Bolden or Robinson, a Bourne or a Pettis. When you've, you've already been talking about protecting quarterbacks and considering the investment made, their future certainly lies in Jimmy Garoppolo. And they can't have uh, holes on the offensive line, especially with former first-rounders. Yeah, but I tell you, the guy that I dog a lot during draft day, he seems to have adjusted moving back to right tackle for them. And Mike McClinchy, they're very impressed with what they see with him. You know, they got an aging guy at left tackle in Joe Staley, but he still has some gas in the tank. Uh, they have Fred Warner, the third-round draft pick. They think he's going to be their plug-and-play among their linebackers. They could play him at all three the linebacker positions. D.J. Reed right now, well, Sherman is still out with the Achilles, but their fifth-round draft pick, D.J. Reed, he was running with the first unit at cornerback and he was also playing in backup safety role. Uh, look what they're doing at tight end. They brought in John Embry. Hey, listen, anybody that went to Colorado, they're good by me, man, because I'm a Buffalo true and true. But John Embry's a tight end coach. He has a couple of guys down there in George Cattell, which he got from Iowa, Gra- uh, Garrett Selleck. Uh, now he's got a couple of sleepers that he's looking at. Uh, the kid, uh, Cole uh, Hickenanuki, uh, Cole Wick, and Malcolm Johnson. This is a team we're going to see a lot of short area passing because that's what Jimmy likes doing. Unfortunately for them, with those wide receivers being banged up and everything, they may have to go with two or three wide uh, tight end sets quite a bit. Well, the 49ers have certainly made a number of changes. They'll be one of the teams we'll be paying close attention to as that NFC West division seems to be changing. The Rams obviously looking good. Uh, Certainly a lot of issues uh, in Seattle, but we'll be keeping our eyes on the 49ers and much to discuss as we approach training camp in July. But we also want to start to talk about the college football season. We want to talk how it shapes up in relation to the 2019 NFL draft. We've got some defensive linemen we're going to talk about. And again, this isn't going to be our usual definitive pre-draft kind of thing, but let's touch a lot of bases. We'll let people know we do have one small school star that's on your radar in particular, but let's start at the top at the defensive end position, Ohio State's Nick Bosa. He is ready for, well, not just a breakout year. He's already had one of those, but he's going to get a lot of attention at draft time. But first, the upcoming season for Ohio State. How about Nick Bosa? When you sit back and look at the legend that Joey Bosa brought to Ohio State, and now you're talking about Nick Bosa where, oh, he's way better than bro. That's how good this <laughs> ball player could be. Wow. You got to understand they used eight guys in that in that uh, rotation up front. Greg Pagano did a fantastic job with this kid, but he was only out there for 400 plays, and on 400 plays, 22 quarterback pressures, eight and a half sacks, uh, forced fumble, and 34 tackles. Now with Sam Hubbard, Tyquan Lewis, and Jalen Holmes all in the NFL, it's time for the spotlight to come on, Nick. And uh, boy, do they need him! 
over there, but I look at this thing over here. I think he's the best defensive end in college football. I am looking forward to seeing what he could do out there on the football field, more so because of the little guy that they're moving over to play strong side defensive tackle with them. Folks, keep an eye on Draymond Jones. Underrated talent there. If you went back and saw the Indiana game last year, he was just yum, yum, eat him up all the way. Seven sacks, 22 quarterback pressures. This is a guy that put 28 hits on the quarterback last year. Each and every week, he's getting better and better. Both of these kids are going to line up on the strong side for Ohio State. I pity the Big Ten quarterback. <laughs> wow. Well, that's something the Big Ten is going to have to be concerned about every week as we talk about your first group of defensive ends and the Ohio State tandem of Nick Bosa and Draymond Jones, your best defensive end, defensive tackle tandem in college. But under your microscope in this first group, you've got defensive end Zach Allen out of Boston College. It's not often we have Boston College with a player of this caliber whose name is probably going to go early in the first round of the NFL draft. Well, here comes a little bit of a did-you-know uh, Mr. Allen, him and Harrison Phillips last, last year were the only defensive linemen to record a at least 100 tackles in a the season. They were the only two to do it in the major college ranks since 1999. This was a team that was set up to highlight Harold Landry. Landry struggled coming out of the gate, ended up with an ankle injury later on in the season. You go back and look at Boston College over the years, out of 129 major colleges, they're usually in that bottom third when it comes to defense. With Allen in the fold, they were sixth last year against the run. This is a solid player to go. Why I like about this guy is he's a Dan Hampton-like type on the football field. He's always alert to his surroundings. He won't bite on play action. He needs minimal reps to retain a place, and he's like a quarterback out there. He's always moving people into position. He's genetically gifted. I mean, look at the size of that kid and the acceleration closing from the backside. He's got a powerful burst. He could be quite effective splitting double teams and impacting with his pocket pressure. This is a guy that I look at. I will play him in a five-tech when I get him up into the NFL. If Ty Warren could have only stayed healthy, if Dan Hampton was still out there playing football, they be saying, Alan, when he comes into the league next year, hey, I had, congratulations, Rook. I got myself a clone. And you mentioned Harrison Phillips of Stanford, who's now in the NFL. And, of course, on Boston College last year, all the attention was on Harold Landry, who did not go as high in the draft as many people thought he might. But now that Zach Allen will have the spotlight on him as he is under your microscope, how much is his stock going to rise as we watch him play through this year from a potential first rounder to a solid first rounder, do you think? Well, you know why we're talking about defensive linemen to open up this thing, Paul. I started putting together my grades to prepare when I go to training camp, when I start handing in my reports. 13 out of the 15 guys, uh, top 15 guys on my list were defensive linemen. 23 out of my top 30 guys were defensive linemen. I'm sitting back over here and I'm saying, I don't want to be a quarterback this year. I only have one quarterback on the, on the top 30, and that was the kid Locke out of Missouri. But you look back at the defensive linemen that came out in recent years, this is probably going to be gold for anybody that needs defensive linemen. You've got edge rushers. You've got nose guards. You've got the five-tech. You've got the three-tech. No matter what you're looking for in this draft, I would say by the time it's all over, at least 10 of these guys are going to go round one. 
Wow. All right. Well, we'll have plenty of opportunity to talk about Zach Allen and everyone else as we move forward this season. But let's move on now to a small school guy and an edge rusher that you've got in your first group, uh, group O'Shane Zimenez. That's X-I-M-I-N-E-S. O'Shane Zimenez from Old Dominion of Conference USA. Well, the Cleveland Browns won 0-16 last year. When it comes to the draft, Old Dominion has gone 0. Nobody's ever been drafted from that school. That's going to change this year. You look at this kid, you look at what Vaughn Miller did when he was coming out of college. I see a lot of that in this guy. He's undersized for a down lineman. He's only 245 pounds, but he's got that 80-inch long wingspan. He has 8.6% body fat. Due to the size issues, some teams might look to move him to linebacker, but I love the way that he bursts coming off of the edge. 40 running plays last year, Paul. He held the, off- uh, he held the offensive uh, uh, running backs to 14 yards generates good heat the pressure to uh, pocket he has good quickness keeps his feet on the move and shows the agility and balance in his running stride he's got an adequate change of agility and flexibility that can see him convert to a linebacker along with good acceleration to get close watch the loose hips on this guy because i'm telling you he runs faster than that four six times speed that's O'Shane Zimenez, who we'll have the opportunity to talk about as we move forward. Before we get to your most exciting group across the entire front, let's talk about one more guy in your first group of defensive ends, and that's from the University of Miami, Joe Jackson. How about him? You know, I always said this kid had a nose for the quarterback. He was a dangerous edge rusher. Excellent speed coming off the edge, along to go with the length and the size. Here's a kid, he's Pushing six foot six, he's two hundred fifty eight pounds, and he runs in the four six range. Folks, go back, pull up the Notre Dame game last year against Miami. See what he did to Mike McClinchy. That's why I was shocked that McClinchy even made it into the first round. This is a kid as a freshman. He had eight and a half sacks last year. He comes along. He has six and a half more sacks, seventeen tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Watch what he does this year. I predict this kid comes out. He comes out. He'll go middle first round. Mm, you just made Manny Diaz and Mark Richt and, of course, the Miami Hurricane Nation very happy as we move to our second group, your top front four. And that belongs to the Clemson Tigers, Clayland Farrell, Austin Bryant, Christian Wilkins, and Dexter Lawrence. Well, let's start with all four, because if I'm an NFL defensive line coach right now, I'm acting like a kid in a candy store. Could I have them all? <laughs> <laughs> I have never seen a defensive line like this, even in the NFL. I mean, it, to see these four guys deciding unison to come back because they want one more ring, that tells you in this day and age where everybody's looking for the fast buck, nyuck, 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 with the freshman in the NBA draft. But here you got four guys. If any of these four decided to come out in the 2018 draft, would have been first-round draft picks. How much more could their stock improve? They're going to be first-round draft picks this year, unless they get kidnapped or somebody finds them at the border and starts splitting them up. But what I'm seeing from these players right now is we got four quality blue chippers and four quality future all pros in the NFL. Ferrell, Ferrell's my favorite because he's the guy that if I got to take Bryant out of the game, I can move Ferrell over to Bryant's spot. If Christian Wilkins slips over to the nose, I can move Ferrell over to the five tech. No matter where I need Ferrell to play, he's probably the most interchangeable defensive lineman in this draft. Probably the most interchangeable defensive lineman I've seen in a long time. 
which will obviously pay off when we get to draft time for the NFL. So Farrell's your favorite. He's on one side. Austin Bryant's on the other. Yeah, well, look what you got. You got two 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 hundred seventy pounders standing over six foot four before seven speed. Could you imagine that quarterback? He definitely is going to have to have peripheral vision. I mean, you got one guy coming in on one side that had eighteen tackles for losses last year in Ferrell. You turn around on the other side, sixteen tackles for losses coming from Austin Bryant. That's a lot of people that never got any traction getting out of the backfield, Paul. So those are the two defensive ends. You talk about an offensive coordinator's nightmare and an offensive line's nightmare. Then you've got Christian Wilkins at one defensive tackle spot and Dexter Lawrence at the other. Remember Russell Maryland when Russell hit the league, the way he exploded coming off of the ball? That's what I see in Christian Wilkins over here. He's probably the fastest fastest interior pass rusher that you could find out there. Easily collapsed the pocket and provides that instant pass rush. With that coming true, with him doing what he did over there, it allowed Brian to emerge as a quality defensive end on the other side. Understand, Wilkins was banged up in 2016. Bryant was coming in and trying to fill in for the loss of Wilkins at that time and couldn't do it at the defensive tackle spot. Having Wilkins back playing in the interior allowed them to move Brian out onto the edge. And then we get to Dexter Lawrence, a 4-3 defensive tackle kind of guy. He's 6'5", 340. Brandon Williams Jr. That's what this kid is. This kid is a manster. He will just eat you up. Everybody talked about two years ago, Jonathan Allen coming out of Alabama. Even back then, Lawrence was better than him. This is the ACC Rookie of the Year in 2016 when he had 63 tackles, nine and a half uh, stops for loss. Last year, okay, his numbers were down a little bit last year, but the thing that he did last year, he occupied multiple blockers, and that's what he did. He still ended up with an 87 grade coming out against the run. 11 sacks in two years, 12 quarterback hits last year, 43 pressures, and just 554 plays ball. That completes our second group of defensive linemen. We're going to move. We've got five to touch base with. Again, this is just the beginning as we get ready for college football and ultimately next year's NFL draft. How about your third group of top defensive tackles? Let's start at the University of Houston with Ed Oliver. Uh, the way I look at it, Dexter Lawrence, Ed Oliver, if either one of them came out last year, Baker Mayfield would be in a New York Jet uniform because either one of them would have been the first pick in a draft. That's how good they are. Ed Oliver, when you talk about Ed Oliver, I genuflect. I put him in the Aaron Donald category. That's what you're going to get out of this guy. Continued strong play from his deep, uh, debut season despite triple blocking last year. As a freshman, he dominated at the point of attack. Last year, he just simply overwhelmed everybody with his athletic ability and quickness. 22 and a half tackles behind the line of scrimmage out of 66 total. The thing, too, is he is a guy that generously lists him at 6'2". If he's 6'2", I'm a new bull. Uh, but, here's a, but, but here's a guy, nine passes knocked down at the line of scrimmage last season, Paul. Honestly, uh, if things go right this year, I would see him as a strong contender for the Heisman also. Wow. Well, that's extremely high praise to say that it would have been the first overall pick to compare him to Aaron Donald and to say he's a Heisman contender as a defensive tackle. Well, that's a lot a lot of praise on Ed Oliver, who I'll just guess we'll be speaking about quite a bit as we move on. But as we move on today, another defensive tackle in this group of guys that 
you want to touch on is Rashawn Gary from Michigan. He's a little taller than Ed Oliver, isn't he? At 6'5", 287. Paul, honestly, if I was Jimmy, I'd be playing this guy at linebacker. That's how good he is. That's, that's the range that he has. Don't look at the 5-0 speed on this guy. When he's out on the, the field, he's just easy flow from sidelines to sidelines. He's done a lot of advanced work with his pass rushing during the offseason. I really want to see what this kid looks like. He dropped 3% body fat during the offseason. He's now up to 294. I'm hearing that his speed was down in the 4-7 range when the scouts came in. This is a guy that you just got to turn him loose on the edge. Unfortunately for Jimmy, Jimmy likes keeping him in the middle. And Jimmy, of course, is Jim Harbaugh, but Rashawn Gary, if he's going to stay in the middle with his hand on the ground, then I guess he's going to stay in the middle with his hand on the ground. We'll see what happens when he gets to the NFL. Might they think about standing him up? Well, I know if they stand him up, there'll be a lot of offensive linemen being put down. (laughs) And a lot of quarterbacks probably with accelerated heart rates. But let's go to her fourth... Okay. His hand width, his hand width is eleven and seven eighths. Do you understand that? That means to him a basketball is a BB. <laughs> well, a basketball is a BB. That makes for big hands. Well, eleven and seven eighths of an inch on hands. Yeah, I would definitely go for that. I, I pity uh, you know uh, Russell Athletic though. They have to fit him with gloves. <laughs> well, maybe they could pull an old hotel awning and and weave it together. As we move on to our fourth group of defensive tackles and other blue chippers, what about Jeffrey Simmons out of Mississippi State? Defensive tackle, 6'4", 301. 60 tackles, 12 tackles for losses, five sacks last year, 301 pounds. Big, powerful guy. He could bench press 500 pounds, but the problem is he took that strength to a woman last year, and if anybody saw that graphic video of him, multiple punches to this woman out in the middle of the street. I mean, this is something that's going to live with him in infamy. I mean, you go back and look at what happened with the Joe Mixon situation, the Tyreek Hill situation. Okay, they panned out in the NFL, but still, they cost themselves a lot of ducats on the contract table, Paul. I see the same thing happening with Simmons, no matter what kind of year that he has this season. As it undoubtedly should. As we move away from Jeffrey Simmons of Mississippi State, what about Raquan Davis of Alabama? 6-7-3-0-6. That's big for a defensive tackle. Uh, DeBron Payne's gone, next man up. That's the way that Saban does it. I mean, this guy has more five stars down there. You'd think he would have a universe in his back pocket. (laughs) He broke out last year, really needed that game for them because the defensive line, if you saw their defensive line the second half of the season, they were really sluggish. All of a sudden, he comes in second half of the season, 10 tackles behind the line in the scrimmage. He got to the quarterback nine times, racked up 69 tackles. I can't remember the last time that a defensive lineman for Alabama had that many tackles, especially with the rotation they have. Uh, this is a massive human being, folks. I mean, they say he's six foot seven. This is probably a school that should have used another ruler because I look at him, I see him at least six foot eight, six foot eight and a half, three hundred six pounds. This is a kid that's only played five hundred twenty three snaps in the last three years. This is going to be Raekwon Davis's coming out party this season. And this is a guy that's going to be moving up as we get toward the draft in terms of draft boards, potentially first half or higher of the first round. And here we go again, folks. Where does he play the SEC? Much like my next favorite defensive tackle, Derek Brown from Auburn, Paul. There you go. Same state, same conference. 6'5", 316, Derek Brown. 
tougher on defender. He could contribute some on the pass rush. You saw that last year, but his big thing is the pressure that he applies, and he's probably the best bull rusher in this draft. Uh, you sit out there, you watch what he could do on the football field. I like his range. I think somebody might try to bulk him up over here and play him at the five-tech. We've got one more group of defensive ends ready to discuss as we continue to get ready for college football and next year's NFL draft. A couple of small school guys we're going to talk about, but first let's go out west to Oregon where Jalen Jelks comes in. What what do you think about the Oregon Duck? I look at this guy. He's 250 pounds, dripping wet, but boy, when he takes on those bigger offensive gods, he is a uh, Oh, when it comes to getting to the interior running game. When you got a defensive end that could shift inside like Kim at his weight level, yeah, this is a guy that I still say projects at the edge at, at the, in the NFL, but I come up in day three of the draft and he's still sitting out there. This is a guy I want to bring in camp. I look at him, I see another Jared Allen. Hmm. Okay, well, that would make for a very good career. A guy coming back, we mentioned Jim Harbaugh a little while ago in Michigan, a guy coming back for a fifth season in Ann Arbor is Chase Winovich. Well, and this is a guy that's been a part-timer there, and this is the reason why uh, they keep on moving most of their defensive ends inside because they love what he does on the outside. You're sitting out there, and this is a guy that on 559 plays over the last two years, 46 quarterback pressures, 22 quarterback hits, and 16 sacks. We know what Chase Winovich is all about, and that's a perfect first name for somebody that I want to go with tackle quarterback. <laughs> Chase, I like it a lot. Uh, two more guys to talk about today. You know me and my small college guys, yes, Paul, absolutely. and i got to pull up my NIU. This Husky over here is Northern, really going to bring it on this year. Northern Illinois Sutton Smith. When I look at the grades of all these guys you put out, this is a guy that's got as high a grade as anybody. Sutton Smith, Northern Illinois. Mighty Mouse. Six feet tall, 225 pounds, and you'll see him line up at nose guard. You will see him line up at defensive end. You will see him line up at defensive tackle. Meanwhile, the NFL says they're going to move him to the traditional linebacker spot at the next time. And I say, why? Look what he did last year. 16 sacks, 64 quarterback pressures in the last two years. Something wherever you want to play is fine by me. And he's one of those guys, I guess, would give the bigger uh, lineman in the trenches fits. How do they keep up with them? Well, you go back two years ago, look at the kid out of Temple that emerged, Hassan Reddick in San Diego, just jumped on him in the first round. I say the critical thing for Sutton Smith is not going to be what he does up at NYU. It's going to be what he does down at Mobile, Alabama in January. Look forward to seeing that. But first, of course, we look forward to seeing him this season at Northern Illinois. One more guy to talk about today, and that's Nevada's Malik Reed. Boy, I'm telling you, the food stores in Reno must have been well-stocked. This was a kid that came into the program at 195 pounds. He's now pushing 265. Uh, He went out last year. He had one of the best seasons ever for a pass rusher for the school. Nine uh, nine quarterback sacks, 18 quarterback hits, 24 quarterback pressures. He's only on 286 plays. And in the Mountain West, what's it going to be for him to start moving up draft boards during the season? Uh, no matter what, Nevada, Reno, they always end up being the afterthoughts. Uh, more than likely with him, he's probably going to get an invitation to at least the East-West game. So it's going to be the big fish in the little pond showing what he could do. But again, this is all just a 
taste of what's to come as we get ready for college football to head to their camps and their preseasons and of course the NFL to head to training camp. So much to discuss as we work our way toward next year's NFL draft and a college football season that is exciting as always. A reminder for our listeners, email Dave T with any questions you might have, whether it be about college football or the NFL, scouting services at AOL.com. That's scouting services at AOL.com. And know that Scouts Honor will be looking at college football and the NFL every week from now through the season. You can subscribe or follow on Spreaker.com, iTunes, and iHeartRadio, and we hope you do. For now, Dave T., thank you. And as always, thank you for listening.